listener production. Okay, here we go. He is ice cool in moments like this. Oh, the big fella runs back into heavy traffic. Look at him go! And we're back on another edition of Woodsy's Club Tour and got a very special guest today, none other than the NRL CEO, Andrew Abdo. How you going, mate? Good. Good to be here, Woodsy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, um, normally we start off by how we first met. Do you actually remember how we first met? Well, you were reminding me of it and I had, <laughs> I, uh, and we've obviously had a few dealings uh, over the last few years, um, but you did remind me it was for a Telstra ad that we did for a marketing campaign a few years ago. Yeah, that's right, mate. You, you, I'll tell you what, you looked after me with that one. It was, it was a good one to be a part of, mate. Um, I never forget all that. It was go, wow, and that was the TV ad on it. What we like to talk about is just get to know your journey, mate. So your, your background, you're what, half South African, half Lebanese. Yeah, I, I have a, an interesting background. So I was born in South Africa to uh, my parents. My dad's Lebanese and yep. they were Lebanese migrants to South Africa. Oh, wow. But I grew up in South Africa in a very interesting time, interesting period. As a Lebanese sort of kid, dark-skinned, growing up in apartheid, South Africa was segregated. Yep. You know, whites in one area and blacks in another area. And uh, we were sort of in between. We were, you know, they weren't quite sure how to treat us as Lebanese people. So we, I went to a primary school, went to an all-white school, but as South Africa liberated, uh, you know, ended up going to a mixed high school and, and become part of quite an interesting story of South Africa liberating under the leadership of Nelson Mandela. But it was yep. quite tough growing up as a kid in a segregated society, and I understood and felt what prejudice and discrimination can feel like as a kid growing up in, in South Africa with a Lebanese background. And how did your parents handle all that? Well, my parents were hardworking people yep. and we were family, we were close-knit family. And uh, there were three of us. So my parents and three kids, yep. my older sister, I'm the youngest of three. Okay, yep. My older sister and then I had an older brother and then myself. And uh, my parents were quite liberal. Uh, my dad uh, always sort of taught us about doing what's right and so on and so forth. And then sport always played an integral role in, in my life and actually dealing with growing up in, in quite yep. an awkward situation. And uh, league isn't big in South Africa. Rugby union is the yep. main sport, soccer and rugby union. My brother always used to say to me, put your head down, do your talking on the rugby field. You know, that's where you can <laughs> earn respect. That's yep. where you can make mates. And that's where there's like a, a level playing field. And he was really a great role model for me. He got me through a lot of dark times. And uh, I remember rugby sport and the power of sport and the power of family being really integral into what ended up being quite a, quite a tough, um, yep. hard upbringing. And uh, so you speak about like family, obviously a big thing for you. How did you end up getting out to Australia? So a couple of things. One is uh, my brother unfortunately passed away when we were young, yep. uh, so at school. And uh, after he passed away, I kind of, again, had to reevaluate things and thought about what I wanted to do and what I want to do with my career and my life. Probably at a much earlier age, I had to mature a lot quicker. I was sort of like 13 or 14 yep. at the time. Uh, went away on a, a rugby scholarship and that really opened my eyes up to the world. And as I said, I had a passion for sport and uh, really focused on studying hard. I uh, got into business, uh, became a chartered accountant. And luckily through my travels around the world, I got to play sport and meet people and travel. Yep. Um, and I did that quite a lot. And that was good for me, um, yep. seeing the rest of the world and kind of getting out of uh, what was what was a, sort of a tough era in my life. And um I became a chartered accountant. I worked in corporate finance, yep. did a lot of mergers and acquisitions and valuations. And when I was about 35, mid-30s, my wife and I had two young kids yep. and we came to Australia oh, yeah. uh, on holiday. And I was sort of in my mid-30s uh, reevaluating what I wanted to do next. And 
we fell in love with Australia. We thought this was a great place to bring up young kids, but I had to start again, uh, yep. restart my career, restart my life at 35, not easy. And uh, we came to Australia with a big dream of, uh, you know, becoming Australians and, and bringing up our children in this environment and rugby league played a huge role in enabling that. So I came across, uh, started again. I was working for Deloitte at the time and uh, we did some work for uh, the NRL and the commission had just been formed. This was back in 2012. Yep. And the focus was now with an independent commission, uh, how do we go about growing the sport and growing revenues? And I did some work uh, for the NRL at Deloitte, really enjoyed it, yep. uh, laid down a sort of foundation for how revenues could grow and yeah, wow. um, how the sport can effectively professionalize on the commercial side of things. Uh, really enjoyed it. And one thing led to another and I uh, was offered a role at the NRL. That yep. was back in 2013. Jesus. And 10 years later, um, here I am. So so when you, like obviously you first come out, did, did you know much about rugby league? No, I, I'd watched it from afar. You know, yep. we'd seen uh, the old State of Origin game. but Because you were saying South Africa is more or less rugby union and soccer. Rugby. Yeah, rugby and soccer are the two two big sports in South Africa. So I, I knew about rugby league yep. and, and obviously understood what the NRL was and understood State of Origin. But I'd never experienced it. And listen, you can't explain rugby league to someone. They have to experience it. And I'd seen games of footy. I'd seen premiership footage. I'd seen South Origin. But when I got here and a mate of mine took me along to a game, well, I fell in love straight away and I was completely mesmerized by two things, Woodsy. Yep. One is the speed and athleticism of the game, just how fast it is, how intense it is and how athletic the players are. And the second thing was what this game means to people, the community. Oh. And I was fascinated watching. I was, it was a rabbit-eyed Bulldogs game oh, that's that a I went game. to right, at yeah. Echo Stadium. And I couldn't take my eyes off the field, but actually I was drawn to the buzz around the stadium. Yeah. These two passionate fan bases singing to each other and the banter and the atmosphere. It was a life-changing moment for me. And I've, had, I've actually had quite a few life-changing moments yeah. from sport. I was lucky enough to go to the 1995 World Cup, which effectively, okay, yep. the Rugby World Cup, which effectively saved South Africa that was, from yeah, the that Civil was War. A, yeah, I remember there's a uh, Invictus movies on that. That movie yeah. is a great synopsis of what yep. actually was happening in the country. And I went to that opening game. I was a uni student and yep. Nelson Mandela walked on the field and 50,000 people started chanting, Nelson, Nelson, wow. Nelson. And, you know, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. And he single-handedly saved a country. So I've experienced the power of sport throughout my career throughout my life, uh, whether through my, my brother, Nelson Mandela. But this was another one of those moments. Yep. Like I, I felt what rugby league actually means to people. And uh, ever since then, I've, I've loved every minute that I've had uh, working in this game. Yeah. And, you know, hearing about the way you talked about your mother and, and your father, how hardworking they were, I've heard rumors at the NRL that you sometimes put in 18-hour days. <laughs> we, you know, we, we, we work in a sport where – we're all passionate about yes. it, and uh, and it's complex, right? Uh, oh. And sport should be simple, but it is it is complex. There's lots of stakeholders, and everyone is really passionate about yep. the game and taking it forward and growing it. And uh, we work really hard, and it's not just me. It's yep. it starts with Peter Valandis, the chairman of the commission, um, and it filters down to the management team and, and the staff and the volunteers yep. that we have across the country who put in hours and hours of unpaid work for their clubs, their yep. local community clubs. I think that's the thing. We all care. We all love this game. I know you do. Oh, it's, the best. Um, it's given us so much, but it's almost like it's not like it's work when you put back into it. That's, so, that's what uh, I tend to say to a lot of people. Yeah. Like they go, oh, you, you know, you go to training, come here, but we get to talk about the game. We're trying to grow the game. That's like, it. it. You can't call it work. You mentioned Peter Vlandis. What's he like? The people want to know what he's like out there. Peter is probably the uh, talk about sort of a visionary 
uh, talk about a, a leader and you talk about someone who's unafraid of change, yep. that's Peter. His, uh, his work ethic is outstanding. He's a very experienced, very successful sports administrator, but he also has very bold vision. Yep. And when you are driving for change, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll talk more about some of the change yep. we've been through over the last couple of years. You want someone like Peter Valandis. He has vision and he also enables change. He gets, he rolls his sleeves up and he's got so many connections that he opens up doors for the game. Like, and he cares, would he, like he cares like no one I've ever met before about making rugby the best it can possibly be. And that's something I love because he always, you want to see your leader just trying to pump it. I love when he has little shots at the AFL and, you know, he just backs what he believes in. But is there ever a time when you think like, you know, like we'll probably get to Vegas soon, but when he mentions things like, you go, mate, come on, let's be realistic about it. Because he, he just feels that like he can just do everything. He's like Superman. Yeah, and and he has to be, you yep. know, to whenever you're trying to do something, there's always people that commentate from the side. Yeah. And it's easy to commentate from the side. But when you're in the middle and you're responsible and you care, that's where you you, you try and avoid the naysayers. And that's one of the things I've learned from Peter oh, yeah. is having the confidence of the conviction. If you yep. he always says to me, if we're doing the right thing, we keep marching on. So May 28, you know, they said it couldn't be done. They said it was too soon but we did it. Yep. But changing the rules and making the game more continuous, they said it was a bad idea and it worked. Expansion of the men's and the women's competition, uh, they said it was happening too soon or they said it wouldn't work and we did it. Without Peter's conviction and without the discipline that he forces on the business to make sure that we've got the business case to support it, we just wouldn't have gone back on the field for COVID. Yep. We wouldn't have had the expansion that we've seen. We wouldn't be on the brink of making history playing a game in Vegas. Well, and you speak about COVID like, Talk about some testing times. Was there ever a moment through that period where you're thinking this game might have to shut down for a, a, quite a period of time? It's kind of linked to the Vegas story. So yeah. you go back a few oh, years. Oh, really? And it's it's sort of like not many of us, or well, I, I think people easily forget 2020, right? Oh, everyone does. Yeah, it's that's kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah you know, whatever. But uh, let's go back. March 2020, play suspended. I don't think anyone actually realizes how close the game was to effectively going broke. Yep. We had three months worth of cash flow left. Wow. We had debts. And p perhaps through a combination of things, the game hadn't been as disciplined in our spending and hadn't been as visionary and as bold around revenue growth as it needed to be. Yep. COVID uh, obviously ripped the Band-Aid off and um, kind of showed where the game was at. And whilst we were doing some things really well, there were others that we weren't. Yep. So I became interim CEO in... Um, uh, around that period. Can you imagine, uh, a, a, it's like, a, I think of a business school case study of becoming the CEO uh, when the entire competition is frozen. There's a global pandemic. Governments are saying, we don't know when you're going to be able to play again. We play a contact sport, yep. as you know, and experience every day. How do we find a way to play, play safely? So we came up with a mantra. Well, that's what the people want to know. How, how did you find the way to get it going? Well, I mean, a couple of things, and I've mentioned Peter already, strong leadership, bold yep. vision great teamwork and that's everyone yep. from the commission all the way through to the clubs the players everyone made sacrifices yep. and we all had this common goal so the mantra was stabilize renovate grow stabilize we we needed to find a way to get back on the field yep. stem the bleeding renovate we realized there were things that we needed to do as a business better yep. and we needed to save costs and redirect them into the right areas and then grow like we thought that and and I, you know, you have to give Peter and the commission credit for this. This was an opportunity for us to actually, at the depths of the pandemic, actually think about what could be achieved yeah. through it and then beyond it. Yep. So stabilize, renovate, grow. Here we are. We're in the growth phase. Yep. Um, we're growing our competition in Australia. We're growing a women's competition. And we're taking what I believe is the best professional sports competition in the world 
to one of the biggest markets in the world. Yep. It's incredibly exciting. But we would not have got there had we not gone through the hard work, the vision, the communication, the teamwork of yep. everyone in rugby league coming together going, let's get back on the field and do it safely. And people don't give us credit for this, but there were zero COVID infections in 2020 and 2021. And when it's credit to you guys, the playing group, right? Yep. The the you you must remember those protocols. Oh, everything. You must yeah. remember those late night calls. You must remember the relocation of the competition well, I, I, to I, Queensland. I, I just remember it was funny because with the relocation, my wife was due to have a baby any second. And as you know, uh, we played against the Warriors on the Sunday, and it got announced at halftime of the game we're getting relocated. So, mate, I wasn't too worried about the footy. It was more if I could get my <laughs> missus back up there. And I remember making a call to you straight away, and then. You created the what was it? Air, Air, well, Air Woodsy. Woodsy. <laughs> Air Woodsy was launched, and, uh, uh, and 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 that's what we did. And there, there, there are hundreds of those stories, right? Yeah. We because we're all human beings, yep. and wherever possible, in really extreme circumstances, how could we work with families and with players and with the clubs to make this as livable as possible yep. in a very very difficult period? And that was a great story. Uh, and the end, and obviously you've got you know a healthy baby now. Oh, yes. he's, he's a couple of years old. <laughs> That's but, it. But uh, there there are a number of those stories. Woodsy, great teamwork. But again, you know, great vision by Peter and the commission to say, no, we we're going to do this. And then you, you spoke about like you know the depth. So what have, what have we done as the NRL or yourself as a CEO to to ensure that this doesn't happen in the future? The key thing for us was uh, a couple of things. One is we needed to make sure that we were fiscally responsible. So we had to look and see yep. and it become more efficient become more effective, yep. right? Decide what we need to stop doing and decide what we need to do more of. It was important to get the new the new deal with the players done as well. Yep. And um, that's a record deal. I'm really proud of it. I'm sure you've got some questions about it and we'll get to that. But we, the players are well paid now, both the men and women, and they deserve to be. Yep. They are the stars of the show. But it was important for us to get our CBA done, that the clubs were well-funded, that the commission invests enough into grassroots participation and yep. pathways because that's the future, right? 100%. And then what we hadn't done, we needed to have money left over to put into our balance sheet assets to, yeah. to, you know, in everyday terms, we needed to invest cash that could generate revenue outside of what we were currently yep. generating. And we have that now. The last few years, we we have a surplus. That surplus has gone into assets. We've bought hotels yeah, and other assets. Yeah. Those hotels are generating revenue. Yep. That makes us more sustainable. The final piece of the puzzle is that element of growth. How do we take our existing market, our existing competition and take it to a new market? 330 people we can't wait to show them um, the premiership. And we speak about the Vegas thing. Like, do you get, you know, you spoke about the naysayers. Like, obviously, there are always going to be people knocking it. But, mate, you've got to give you and PVL some credit. Like, you're going into a new market and, like you said, 300 and something million. It's, it's incredible. So the the key thing here, it's, it, it, it's pretty simple, right? Take an existing product to a new market. And, and why the US? Well, why not, right? This is a sports-mad country right, with yep. tons of Aussie expats yep. and tons of sports-mad fans that during this particular period of time, um, Americans are always going to love American sport. Yes. But what can we offer them in addition to that? Exactly. At, a, at, a, at, in a, at the right time zone uh, so that it's their second, third, fourth, fifth sport. Yep. So they can start playing uh, fantasy and can start following our athletes. And we're also thinking of opening up talent pathways where we could see a couple of the talented Americans, male yep. or female athletes, making it in the NRL. So for us, the opportunity to get fans in America following the premiership means we can monetize that in the future. New broadcast rights in America, sponsorship, and obviously ticket sales related to taking matches over there. So it's it's multifaceted. And don't forget, online sports betting in America is going through the roof. Yep. And our sport is 
easy to understand, easy to follow. And for a punter, someone who enjoys having a responsible bet, rugby league presents an, an opportunity for them to look at something that's quite interesting. And hopefully from that, we actually then get some hardcore fans who start to follow our teams oh, yeah. and start to follow the players. Well, I think when we're over there, we got the opportunity to see firsthand and they love the physicality. And But the funny thing was talking to a lot of people is like, are you on offense or defense? And like <laughs> trying to tell them what our game is, like, no, we're, we're, we do both. We tackle and carry the ball. <laughs> the one thing I want to know is how did it, how did it become Vegas? Like how, how we didn't go to Hawaii, we didn't go to yeah. LA. What was the main... Before I answer that question, though, I have to say, like, it's one of the highlights of the trip that we had to America was when you were getting recognized in the streets of Vegas. <laughs> so, hey, man, that's that's Aaron Woods. Aaron. Hey, Aaron. Aaron Woods. And uh, when we went to the Raiders game, uh, and people don't know this, but, like, just seeing the crowd react to you guys as players and the half-fives and the excitement, like, it really it really was uh, exciting for us. And I remember you guys, we, we were talking about this saying, in just a couple of months, we're going to get to run on and put on a show for these guys like they've never seen. Because besides the fact that you guys play offense and defense, yes. right? It's 80 minutes. The ball's in play for almost an hour. It's continuous. And it has the aerial kicking game that they won't be used to. It's it's kind of... And um, no pads or oh, helmet. Oh, absolutely. So we're capitalizing on the fact that everyone understands NFL. And this is NFL with a twist. They also know rugby union. Yep. And that's to our advantage. Because we're going to take all those people that have been exposed to rugby union and get them to understand well, and fall in love with league. That was my next question for you. Because so many people are going, oh, you know, they get frustrated. Why is it always rugby, rugby? And I've tried to tell them, but that is why. Because it's they've already got a head start on They know what rugby is. So it's, it's two phases, right? Yeah. Phase one... Hey, come and have a look at us. We're rugby league, right? Now, if if they are getting confused between the two, it doesn't matter. They're, we only need them for about 30 seconds. Exactly. <laughs> 30 seconds. So we're getting them to lean in. Phase two, we're going to convert them from rugby to rugby league to NRL. That's it. And that's the prize. The prize is, man, this is NRL. Yep. And NRL is different to rugby union, and it doesn't take someone long, only a couple of minutes, mm -hmm. before they are one over for life. So that's the strategy. And, and then back to it, how do we get to Vegas? How? Yeah. So a couple of things. One is we wanted to go to America because of the size and the scale of it, yep. right? And uh, a very, very attractive market in terms of what's invested into sport over there. It needed to be the West Coast because of the time zone. Yep. So we don't forget, this is also an opportunity for all our fans in Australia and New Zealand and the Pacific as well. It's going to be on a Saturday evening yep. in Vegas, coming in Sunday afternoon into Australia and New Zealand. Yep. So that's ideal. We're in prime time in two markets at once. The West Coast time zone allows for that, yep. right? which means you can't really play on the East Coast. And then the third reason is why Vegas Las Vegas itself, the city, is reinvesting in becoming a sports entertainment capital of America and yep. the world. So the, the city is actually investing heavily in trying to get the best sports to play there. Yep. So they're going off to franchises. They've already got the Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders yep. They want an NBA franchise. They've got an ice hockey franchise and they want <clears throat> a Major League Baseball franchise. Wow. Then they've gone off to other global sports. So they've UFC. gone off to Formula One. They've got UFC in there. Unashamedly, we wanted to be the first Australian sport to get showcased at this magnificent brand new stadium where they've yep. just played the Super Bowl in a city that's going after world-class sports. So we're showcasing our sport on the platform where sport is being showcased. Everyone loves to travel to Vegas. Yep. Americans do, Aussies do, as we've seen by the take-up in ticket sales. So there's that element to it as well. But the city of Las Vegas is investing in this venture with us. And so that was a great opportunity for us to earn revenues as well. And we've got it for five years, but that's not, you want it to be longer, don't you? I mean, this is an indefinite plan, right? Yep. So the idea would be we keep growing this into the future. We've committed for at least five years yep. and we're going to be taking different clubs there over the years. And 
like anything, year one's going to be hard. Year two will be slightly easier. And then eventually this thing is going to create so much momentum that we start to think about where else do we want to play. Magic Round, the first year we played it, the same story. We got lots of nice hours. The turf's not going to last. People aren't going to come. They won't travel. Now it's almost sold out for this year already. Have a look at them now. It's sold out. You know, it's on the brink of selling out. But year one, it was really hard. This is, is, you know, the next level of Magic Round because it's on the global stage. And the prize for us all significant if we get this right. Yeah, if you get, mate, like you said, 300 million watching Fox Sports. Both games are going to be live on Both Fox Sports. Both games live on Fox Sports 1, which is going to get huge coverage in America. And yep. obviously, it's not just about going and playing a doubleheader. We want fans to then watch the Premiership week in, week out, subscribe the, the to product. the Watch NL product or watch it on Fox Sports 1, you know, in the weeks that follow. Because as you said, that's something in the market that we're trying to, even if you can tap into what, how much percent did you want to tap into over there? I think, didn't you say? Well, if we get 1%, one, that's yeah. already, you know, sort of 3 million subscribers, right? Which is... Uh, we don't even get that to watch an origin here, in, do we? You know, it's huge, right? But again, I stress, this is something we committed to in the long term. It's not, you know, we're not going to get there overnight. Yep. Success is not going to be how many people are in the stadium in year one. Success is going to be how much momentum and how much growth can we generate throughout the premiership season and then in the years beyond. Exactly right. And, and you know, some of the, like, you know, you talk about the, you know, the percent getting 3 million. How does the TV deal work? You know, like, yeah, obviously during that, there was a lot of talk about it through the COVID year with the relationship with Nine because they've already had certain things set in stone. How, how, when you go into a room, how do you know the figures to work on? Yeah. I mean, that's the billion dollar question yeah. these days, right? We're a billion dollar industry. A couple of things. One is you got to just make sure. So it's not like at a point in time you you get in a room and shake hands and yep. come up with a number. We're constantly thinking about this. And even though it's a five-year deal, the work's already well underway on how we can maximize our revenues going yep. forward. This venture is part of that. So when it comes to negotiating the deal, we want to showcase how many fans we've got in Australia, New Zealand, Pacific, America, and the rest of the world. Yep. The stronger we can build the foundation of our fan following then the more leverage we've got in trying to get a better deal. But we also have to make sure that we look after the competition. Exactly. And so the growth of the competition, the Dolphins, the NRLW expansion, the Pacific Championships, the international game, state of origin, like the Women's Series going to three matches, the Las Vegas doubleheader. These are all key elements in making sure that we are thinking about our fans. If we get our fans responding positively, attendance, viewership, the broadcast deal takes care of itself. Yep. That's an outcome of keeping our fans happy. Yep. Last season, we got record attendances, right? We were up to 20,000 a game, wow. up 25%. We're the most watched sport on television in Australia. Our TV ratings has increased. That is the prize. The broadcast deal then, you know, happens as a secondary element of that. So what do we need? The best athletes. Yep. And we need loyal and passionate fans. And uh, we're, we're fortunate in that we've got both of those. You know, I want, obviously with the player side, with the RLPA stuff, we had a bit of, you know, negotiations and stuff go wrong last year. Do you think because what we see as a player is you just see the broadcast deal that we think we get a little bit hungry, there's going to be a lot of money there, but we don't look at the outer, you know, of everything else, like you said, the grassroots, all the other sort of things? No, I'm not going to be critical of the players or the Players Association. It, yeah. was, a, it was a long process. It was long, yeah. It was a long process and it was hard fought, but I believe for the right reasons. And I, and I honestly, I say yep. that genuinely and authentically. It, so there are a few things. One is... We've never actually had a documented long-form CBA in the history of the game. Yep. We're talking about 100 years of history. And there were many things that the RPA rightly wanted to get documented. That goes well beyond money. And that goes to the investment the game makes in ensuring the players have a better future post-playing. Yep. So a lot of this was new. So the complexity of the first ever women's CBA, 
and also documenting a long-form CBA that included an, a number of new elements to it. Um, well done to the RPA. They were great advocates for the players. Yep. I believe we now have a modern agreement where the players are actually genuine partners in the game. Yeah, definitely, yeah. When we grow, the players come with us and they benefit yep. and they contribute to that. And we've not had that before. So even though it took a long time, the fact that we've done it and the fact that we are working together now, it's completely changed the relationship yeah. uh, for the better. And I'm I'm excited about that. Well, no, even when we went to Vegas, like a lot of people were like, oh, what's what's Andrew like? I said, he's absolutely a champion fella. He's, he's not what you think. I said, <laughs> everyone goes for negotiations. Everyone wants what they want. And sometimes it doesn't work out that way. you got to meet somewhere in the middle or 60-40, whatever it is. Well, I know, and, and if I can, I'll give credit again to the Players Association and the players because yep. – the deal that we've struck means that the game can invest in assets, can invest in the future, yep. and it's not fully distributed. And the players are, are therefore sacrificing what they can get now for the future. And, yep. th- you know, credit to them. That's a genuine partnership in the game. Well, I think the biggest thing with the players is we just wanted to know that we looked after after we retire yep. because a lot of times career spans are only two to three yep. years. And it's like the other things, I think the things you set up with the TAs uh, in, yep. in the contracts, you have to give, I think it's maximum of 15 grand which allows players to put that towards their uni or, you know, whether it's a, um apprenticeship. So they get helped out there, which is something that was It's the really, right thing to do. It was yeah. long overdue. We need to do more for players while they're playing and following their playing career. And I'm really pleased with the way we've landed in that. That's it. And then, you know, we speak of growing the game. Like, mate, if you had told me 10 years ago it was going to be a women's competition, you know, start off with four, then grow to 10. Like, unbelievable. Are we going to look to try and get, follow the NRL and have 17? Yeah, absolutely. Like the the commission is very, very focused on the growth of the women's game. Yep. It's good for the game on a number of reasons. Yep. It's not just at the elite level. I think it changes the culture of the game. I think it opens up the game to to new investors and changes the way we think and run the sport. And uh, the growth of the NRLW has had a huge positive influence on the NRL and on the clubs. And uh, we're not going to stop. You know, we want to, the commission wants to see expansion, but not just at the elite level. Yep. At the development level, we need to develop talent. Genius, um, yep. Not just players, uh, coaches, and yep. referees. And we need more participation at a grassroots level, touch, tag, and tackle. Yeah. So we're going to be investing over the next couple of years significantly into the women's game on and off the field, not just at the elite, yep. but also we, we, we are going to be seeing expansion of the franchises. This year, we're going to move to a three match origin series, which Beautiful. is pretty cool. And yeah. Uh, uh, that's a big step forward for us and exciting for the female players as well. And you said, you said about expansion, you know, that's a huge talk. There's obviously, I think PVL wants to get, is it 18 to teams, but he was, generally wants to get up to 20, I think that's right, for a certain period of time. Is, is it able to happen? Is is it a realistic goal? Well, there's strong demand. Yep. And uh, whenever there's strong demand, that's always a healthy sign. If you think about it strategically, though, you think about where we are as a sport, there are a number of markets that are underserviced in terms yep. of having an elite club. And uh, obviously, there's a lot of talk about Papua New Guinea and, you know, I mean, rugby league is a, is the number one sport in that country. Yeah. And they are so passionate about league. It really does. I see it as an opportunity to really unite that nation. That nation. There are parts of, of Australia where there's an opportunity to grow. We've had franchises in Western Australia before. Yep, yep. It makes sense to look at that. Uh, New Zealand presents another compelling market. So there are a range of options for the commission to consider. We very much are in a growth mindset. Um, It has to be sustainable. There needs to be a good business case. And that's the work that we're doing now for the commission to look at how do we get from 17 to 18 and then, as you say, potentially beyond that to 20 for both the men's and the women's. And, you know, there's a lot of talk. I see it all the time in the paper. Like if, say, there's a side in Perth that comes or like the the Papua New Guinea side, which could be based in Cairns, 
the link between the bears. Would you like to see them back? <laughs> I was wondering if we were going to get through an interview without <laughs> without uh, bringing up the, the North Sydney Bears. Oh, I mean, no, not allowed to bring them up near my club, mate. <laughs> I mean, you know, the fact that it's spoken about so often tells you that there is a big interest yeah. and passion from that fan base. So uh, we'd be crazy not to consider that in the plans. Yep. How that all fits together and how that works, we've still got to do the work on that. But obviously, that's an opportunity for the game. Say there is a side based out of Papua New Guinea. Would it work if they do like sort of play their games from Cairns and then just take a couple games to Papua New Guinea? No, the discussions we've been having is around this needs to be a, a PNG team that has a PNG identity. So, so based in PNG the whole time. Yeah, well, ultimately, yep. what, uh, this is about investing in participation and pathways and academies yep. so that we see players actually coming through Papua New Guinea and in the other Pacific countries and having a team that that they can play for that really yep. allows them to represent that nation, in, in this particular case, PNG. That's not going to happen overnight. But the conversations that we're having are very much about playing matches out of Papua New Guinea. Yep. Now, whether they are based and training at some some location for the first year or two in Australia and then phase into there, we've still got to do the work on that. But ultimately, the end goal is absolutely to have a team that's based training and playing matches out of Papua New Guinea as, as soon as feasible. Yeah, I think it'll be outstanding for the NRL. And one of the big things I like to, you know, a lot of people, especially players, you know, off-field behavior, right? How does it affect our relationship with corporates and sponsors when players stuff up? Well, it's never good. Nah. <laughs> it does have an impact. Yes. Um, but, gee, we've come a long way. Um, and that's what I was going to say. It's yeah. been quite – hasn't been much to talk about lately. Uh, it heads off to the level of – I mean, we've got great athletes. Yep. And, and I, I say this with uh, an absolute level of belief and authenticity. Our players are unbelievably professional. I've gotten, I'm lucky enough, I've gotten to know you and yep. some of the others. And as much as you put into what you do on the field, I see you guys putting into what you do off the field as well. Yep. The commitment to your community, a lot of, a lot of players have passion for um, charities and, and community work and, yep. and really do take the time to invest back into the community. So the vast majority, like 99.9% .9 of the players are absolute unbelievable role models on how do you commit to something as a professional athlete, but then also how you act as a role model to young people. And occasionally we all like we, we all make mistakes. And from time to time, players have made mistakes in the past. And of course, in our world, it's magnified, right? Because yeah, everyone's time. looking big at time. it and it's up in the headlines. So I have a lot of sympathy for young men and women who yep. have the spotlight on them that, that, that make mistakes because they are making mistakes in a very amplified um, environment. Yep. But wow, we've uh, we've just seen the players really step up in my view of late. Um, the last couple of years, we see less and less of, of these types of incidences. And uh, overall, I think that the players are doing an outstanding job being great ambassadors for the game. Are you nervous for Vegas, for the players? Oh, I mean, I'm nervous. I, I, I like live in a permanent state of nervousness for many, for many things, right? <laughs> I'm I'm excited about yep. Vegas. I'm nervous about you know the first time we do a massive project like this. There's lots of things that can go wrong. I'm not nervous about player behaviour. No. Uh, I know that that's the question. I'm not I'm not diverting it. I'm saying my nervousness is about the entire venture. Yep. And if if I wasn't nervous, then I wouldn't be doing my job properly. Obviously, we've had you know a number of briefings because we've just got to be aware that we're in another country where things are done slightly differently in another environment Completely. where, again, there's lots of – it's not so much the decision-making of the players. It's the pressure that they sometimes get put under yeah. by other people. And it's just about maintaining the discipline in quite a – sometimes quite a difficult situation yep. in real time. Yeah, definitely. And so just to help the players prepare for that and try and take as much precaution as we can to support them. Yep. But no, no, overall, I'm super excited. I, I think that this is going to be one of the most exciting things we've done as a game and I can't wait for the players 
to experience that, to experience, you know, American fans embracing them. Oh, the players love it. We've done our briefing. Um, and there's things that you sort of look at in the briefing and go, come on, it's common sense. But <laughs> you still got to be reassured because, like you said, you're in a different country and they've got different rules. Like, yeah. that, like we went through one, they just lock you up straight away and then they ask later. So yeah. you got to be careful. And there's always this talk, obviously, about NRL Grand Final. So is it locked in for, for Sydney or can other states buy it? Because you always see these talk in the paper and – PVL just comes out and just crunch puts it straight away. <laughs> no, look, we're very respectful. We have a great relationship yep. with the New South Wales government. We're, we're in dialogue with them around a long-term plan. And obviously, uh, you know, we're very respectful of the fact that uh, – the, the situation has changed yep. a, a number of times, right? Yep. But we're having good dialogue with them. Uh, at this stage, there's no plans to take the grand final anywhere else in the short term. Yep. But we need to sit down and lock in what that looks like over the next couple of years just to give us certainty beyond, you know, this year. And so we're doing that, but we're doing that very respectfully. And as I said, we've got a great relationship with the New South Wales government as we do with, with all state governments in, in Australia. Well, I don't want to be seeing it to go to Queensland, mate. Can't let them get that, mate. They've already got the Origin Series at the moment. You, you know, it's you know, it's funny. Like I reckon, in a, in like a couple of decades' time, people are going to look up on Wikipedia or going to look up in the annuals and go, "We played a grand final in in Queensland, and we played three state of origins yes. in Queensland. What happened there?" Oh, well, I think we all know what happened with the COVID rules. Uh, and speaking of state of origin, like how big is that for the game? Like a lot of people just think. The three games, it's just, it's just you know, it's bragging rights for the state. But how big is that for the actual NRL industry? Well, you tell us. Like, you've had the opportunity to represent your state. Oh, yeah. I mean, explain explain to everyone the level of intensity up that representing your state is over representing your club. Oh, for, for yeah. people out there, it's just different. You're playing with the best of the best, bragging rights for 12 months. And you go there and do things you probably wouldn't normally do on a week-to-week basis. And, like, I know... As a proud New South Welshman, I love playing in Sydney, but it's also pretty cool playing in in, in Suncorp because I never forget I debuted up there, and those two headed people started throwing <laughs> beer at me as we we're running out, and I was like, "Jesus, this is what the the reception's like over here." So it's just so the answer to your question is exactly as you described. It translates like it it, it our fans, our sponsors, our investors, they see it. Uh, the stats also don't lie. If you look at GPS stats, you can actually see the average speed is up. Yep. Intensity, the work rate on every position, it's up on the premiership. Same player operating at a high intensity. And as you say, it's the best of the best. Now, obviously, the opportunity for our fans to yep. see that showcased now men's and women's over three matches right in the middle of the season, Crazy. in the middle of winter, in three <laughs> markets, like it is, it is, it is phenomenal. It's got it's got an X factor to it. There's no question about yep. it, right? The premiership is a long, tough competition and in the middle of this we've got this series which you know you know it's not just about new south wales and queensland the whole of the world leans into this rivalry right because it means so much crazy yeah but the footy is spectacular and as a result it is a hugely valuable uh, series for us and 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 fans love it and uh we you know we we need to think about how we take it to even more audiences uh, like americans because it is something special like we get four super bowls right Three state origins in a grand final. Well, you know, would you ever see us taking a state of origin to America if if it goes to plan? Yeah, why not? I mean, the strategy is, is all about winning fans long term. Taking yep. content there is part of that strategy. You know, I remember when we first decided to move one game a year every year into a neutral state. There was yep. again, like you know, a lot of naysayers saying, "Oh, no one's going to go." You know, at the MCG, we get like eighty thousand, ninety thousand people there, right? We sell out uh, Optus Stadium in Perth, yep. um, so the rotation is working really well. Adelaide, Perth, 
uh, Melbourne. Like it sells art. The fans yeah. in that market love it, but our fans love to travel. So taking Origin to an international audience is is not impossible, and and it's definitely something we would think about down the track. I know you say international. Would we look at maybe New Zealand, or is that too soon? No, why not? Uh, we we've had conversations with yep. them. Um, obviously, we the next couple of years are locked away, but we're we're having yep. conversations about. And it needs to be carefully considered by the commission. And there's a few things like the time zone and, and the like that needs to be worked out. But we are in a growth mindset. Yep. Um, considering new markets, that is is absolutely on the table. And then we spoke about, obviously, you know, it's a long season, it's grueling. Everyone always talks about, you know, growing the length of the, of the season. For me personally, I love it. I, I, I wish I could stay home and watch footy every day of the week. Um, <laughs> but then there's a lot of people against it. A lot of players, obviously, they I'm playing 40 minutes. A lot of players play 80 minutes. Is there going to be, you know, is there a chance of growing the, the season longer? No, I don't think so. I think we're in a really good spot. Actually, Vegas has helped yep. us with something. We've we've essentially created another round of football. We've got two round ones, right? That's the best. Without the players <laughs> having to play more games. Yep. And that is really important. So player welfare is really important. Yep. We, we play a contact sport. So we're not going to just keep adding games. It's, it's not going to happen. But we need to be smart around what our season looks like. We're now at 39 weeks and we're giving our fans 39 weeks of action. We don't need to play more matches. We just need to be clever around how we spread those matches yeah. out. So having the two weeks of the preseason competition and then effectively round one comes early at Las Vegas and then we have round one with three matches on free to air and the rest of the, the round one competition, that follows a 27 normal rounds finals and then the Pacific Champs. It's, yeah. a, it's a great season for fans. It's 39 weeks of action. It just feels like it was... Just the other day, we were watching, I think, Australia and New Zealand in the final, watching the Kiwis pip them. You know, and I think, what's the biggest challenge facing the game at the moment? Well, that's a good question and, and a tough question. I think uh, there are, there's probably there's probably three three major challenges. Yep. The, the, the first one is we, we've got to understand that the world is changing yep. and we've got to change with it. So maintaining relevance. Yep. Um, I think like younger people, if you think about their time commitment and how they choose to consume or play sport yep. is changing. So we need to make sure that our product offering connects with young people all the time. Yep. Whether that's like grassroots club or schools footy, the way in which you are taught footy, the way in which you yep. played your younger years and the experience all the way through to how you choose to consume premiership on your app or yep. on digital different digital platforms. So I think number one is uh, we, we have to keep uh, our game relevant yep. and we have to keep adapting to make sure we connect with young people. Uh, I think the second challenge is making sure that we are thinking about how to grow beyond just where we currently are. Yeah. And that's linked to the US strategy. So that's that's really thinking out of the box around where we where we can find growth. And then the third thing is probably as a as a contact sport to think about how we manage player workload and player safety, yeah. uh, particularly around head injuries. I was about to say the concussions. Yeah, head injury management is really important for us. Uh, yeah. pre prevention, detection, uh, safe return to play, yeah. and then research. And obviously making sure that we're making decisions around how the game is is governed to protect the players, but doing it with data and doing it in a in a in a sophisticated way. And and for us, that is a you know a, a, a massive challenge of which we we're focused on. Well, that's something I was going to say. How did you come up with the HIA? Like, how, did you where do you get the data from? And and then how did you come with that process? Because I think I personally think it's good. Even if you get a, a minor knock, I still think you should be assessed because while we're playing the game, we think we're invincible, but it's not to. 10, 15 years after the game, you got a few things happening with your body. Yeah. That's when you realize, geez, I probably shouldn't have played that, you know, that game or 
backed up that next week. So yeah, it's unfair for players to yeah. be put in it, that position. You guys inherently want to play, and you want to you know not let your team down, and let you and you're not in the best position to make those calls. So yep. making it independent uh, was the natural next thing to do. So an independent assessment, starting with the with either the club doctor, and now we have the independent doctors. Yep, they've got access to vision. They've yep. got access to uh, a number of elements of data, which yep. then allows them to take a safety first approach and go look I've seen these indicators I'm going to remove the player from the field and assess them further and based on those indicators and it's all data based the player will either be allowed to return to the field or they won't be yep. uh, based on the severity of those indicators now to answer your question that was done through the consultation of experts yep. so looking at existing research consulting with doctors and neurological experts and then the commission obviously adopting a policy yep. over the last couple of years to uh, to put that into place yeah I think that's a that's an awesome marketing thing because you really need to look after players headspace alright this is the last question mate we appreciate you coming in what's the most exciting thing for Andrew Abdo in 2024 season? Uh, I mean, this is this might sound like a boring question, but just getting the footy up and running again. Yep. Smelling the barbecues on a Saturday morning at a local grassroots club, you know, like, and maybe I, if I can just elaborate for this, uh, for the last couple of years, Rugby League has really given myself and my family the um, opportunity to feel like Australians. We've yep. become Australians through the sport. So my kids play um, touch for North Sydney Bears. And my son played his junior footy for the Willoughby Roos. Yep. My wife and I have been part of the rugby league community over the years. And so getting the footy up and running again, whether it's junior competitions on a Saturday, the smell of the barbecue and the painted lines and seeing the kids run around or whether it's uh, the premiership games happening, I really do get a lot of motivation yep. and strength and energy from that. Um, and so as nice as it's been to get an off season, uh, footy's about to start, the season's about to kick off yep. and I couldn't be more excited for all the volunteers, coaches, referees, players, parents, fans, administrators, because it's, it's footy now, you know, and kids learn about teamwork. They learn about winning. They learn about losing. Um, That's parents, the best part. parents learn about winning oh. and learn about losing and fans get the hope of seeing their team, you yep. know. Uh, go for a premiership. Um, we're going to see a whole bunch of things done for the first time this year, you know, playing premiership games on US soil and seeing you guys uh, play at that Allegiant Stadium. That's going to be a, a highlight for me. It doesn't stop there. You know, it's going to run through, you know, from Vegas into our themed rounds, uh, Anzac round, Easter, Magic round. Then you think about State of Origin with the yep. Women's Expanded Series and then the Grand Final and then, of course, the Pacific Champs. Like, uh, I don't know where to start and when to stop, but it's about to start. And I'm very motivated and excited about that. Well, the good thing is I can see the passion coming off you now, mate. You're that excited, <laughs> mate. And it's something we're looking forward to too as well. Like we played a trial on the weekend. I've had that many fans come and go, how good the trials are on TV. You'd, you'd never get that five, six years ago. Is, it would you, this is the greatest game for all. Like it, unbelievable. Everyone, everyone just is in it, right? Everyone's invited. And it, it doesn't is, matter it, if you're rich, you're poor, yeah. whatever. Everyone just gets right behind. And it's like wherever you're from, that's yeah. who you go for. It's so and, tribal. And it's celebrated, right? It is. It yeah. is. Uh, and, and you know what the other thing is? It can determine if someone has a good week or a bad week. Yeah. Um, oh, well, sorry, I've got one more question. Yeah. Who does Andrew Abdo follow? Which team does he – or which team did you like when you first come across to Australia? Well, I don't have a favorite team anymore. Obviously, you being the boss, yeah, yeah. yes. But I uh, I was fortunate enough to go to that uh, Rabbitohs-Bulldogs game yep. first up and, like, I saw a huge amount of intensity at that game and, like, I was just kind of mesmerized by it. But I live on the North Shore and yep. uh, the closest stadium to me is Brookvale. Oh. Um, so I've been, I've been I must say, I've been down a couple of times to watch uh, Manly play. But I've got a mixed household. 
Yep. Every person in my household follows a different team. So I feel like we are um, really uh, split uh, for different reasons. There's a story behind each. We don't have enough time on this <laughs> podcast to go into that, but I'm completely neutral. Ah, beautiful. Um, I'm neutral, but I must I must say, when you when you when you watch a game now, yep. like as a CEO, you're watching so many different aspects of it. Yeah, it's not it's, just the team. Yeah, yeah. It's not about who's winning, who's losing. It's more about the flow of the play, the stats, the the, the refereeing, yep. the match review process, and the HIAs and and all those elements. And I've I've loved seeing and understanding and learning and appreciating the deep statistical and, and yep. strategic side of the game as well and learning from the players and the coaches along the journey. So when I watch the game, it's with quite a lot of intensity, but not not from a winning and a losing perspective. You just want good quality footy, mate. And I think that's what that's you're going to get. Much uh, much third or much second in Vegas. It'll be outstanding. Uh, mate, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day. I know how busy you are, especially this time of year. And, mate, I'll see you in Vegas. Thanks so much, Andrew. It's my pleasure, Woody. You've done a lot for us as a game. You were a great advocate for the game over in Vegas. Uh, <laughs> the guys at Telstra and the girls at Telstra love you as well. Um, it's a pleasure to be able to sit and have a chat to you. Uh, you really do bring the game to life in a great way and you tell the stories in a great way, in a, an authentic way. And you're a great a great advocate for the game. So thank you for what you do for us as well. No, thanks for coming. Appreciate it, Andrew. 